0: Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Jesus, we come before you together this morning as a group of people, as one people, united in our pursuit of you united in the grace that we stand, united in the reality of our own brokenness and our absolute dependence upon your grace and mercy. And so we thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in our lives, in this world that you have indeed set us free. You've made a way for us to walk with you, our God and King each and every day. You've made us a people once we were not a people, but now we are your people, the people of God. And you've given us these incredible plans and purposes for our lives. You've graced us by including us in the building of your kingdom, given us eternal significance. And that's got nothing to do with us. It's just you. It's just your goodness. It's just how you bless your people. And so we want to express our gratitude this morning. And declare your goodness in this place. We want to lift up the name of Jesus. And we'd also pray, Jesus, that you would meet us in a significant way this morning, that you would speak to us. How thankful we are to know that you are alive and active, that you're here. Your word promises that with two or three or more are gathered there, you are also. So you are here this morning, Jesus. And we just pray that you would speak to us by your word, even the kids who are here, Father. Sometimes having have a beautiful ability just to hear your voice in a way that sometimes we don't even. And so we pray each and every person here this morning, Father, from the oldest to the youngest, may we hear your voice, still small voice of Jesus speaking to us this morning. And this we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. You can take a seat. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Special welcome to the kids here today. We love having you guys with us, and there is just something significant, actually, about having the kids here with us, sitting under the Word with us, and my prayer is that you would be impacted by God's Word this morning. Even if you don't understand everything, I pray that you would hear Jesus speaking to you through His Word, by His Spirit this morning. As always, we've got activity sheets down the front, which is for the kids, but not just for the kids. I know that some of the adults here like to do something with their hands as well, and that's totally fine, no judgment, right? So if you're an adult and you'd like to come on down and grab an activity sheet, that's totally fine. But now it's your opportunity to do that as we get underway. And I wanna to talk to you guys about mission drift. I don't know if that's a term that you've heard before, mission drift like a ship that's pushed off course by the wind and waves, the truth is that it's really hard for an organisation or a group of people to stay on mission over a long period of time, particularly when uh, the one who founded that organisation, right, the one who shaped it and brought it into being, when he's no longer there. That's when we see the test, right, it's to see whether or not this thing is going to stay on course. I could give you a couple of examples. Did you know that, that Harvard started out as a Christian institution? It was actually founded by the Puritans in the 1800s. I don't know if you know that, right? Founded by the Puritans. and In the beginning, they only employed Christian professors. Well, their mission statement was profoundly gospel oriented. I'll read it for you. It says, everyone, this is modern English, but, everyone shall consider as their main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. That's the foundation of Harvard University. Their motto was Veritas Christo et Ecclesiae, which means truth for Christ and his church. That was their original motto. It's not their motto anymore. Their motto now is just Veritas or truth, right? And that's not to say that Harvard isn't an amazing institution. It is, right? It is. But it's not what John Harvard imagined when he established it in the first place. It's just not anymore. It has drifted away from its original purpose. It just doesn't have that same heart, the same vision or mandate for being when I mean, they trained pastors when it first started. I'll give you another example. Do you know that the YMCA rebranded in 2010? It's no longer the Young Men's Christian Association. It's now just the Y, which, let's be honest, is a terrible name. They probably paid an enormous amount of money to a group of people to come up with some really clever thing, and all they did was take the M, the C, and the A and get rid of it and lift the the Y. What are we doing? The, The young? That doesn't even make sense, but that's what it is now. Now that may not seem like that big of a deal to you, but the YMCA was founded by George Williams in 1844 as a place for young men to come together for Bible study and prayer. That's why it was founded. It was a tough time in England. Industrial Revolution was coming to a close. Thousands of young men were moving to the city in search of work, and a whole bunch of them ended up on the streets, because there wasn't enough work. When George saw that, he he saw how desperate it was and started the YMCA as a way of trying to meet that need. It was a refuge for young men. It was unashamedly gospel-centered. This isn't a secular organization. This was a group of Christians coming together to meet a need in their community. Now, the YMCA is still around here today right all over the world it's still around but it's no longer shaped or, or fueled by the gospel and how do we know that well by the fact that they tried to take christian out of the name a pretty good indication of where they're at now it's not the same thing not shaped not fueled by the gospel anymore a mission drift is a real thing it happens to absolutely fantastic organizations and the truth is the church isn't immune from that. We'd be silly to think that we are. There's a fair bit of mission drift when it comes to the church as well. So how blessed we are then to have the book of Acts, because it's like a mirror for us, particularly the passage that we're looking at today. Well, this is the early church. It's the pattern that was given to us in Acts chapter 2, and it's a gift because it allows us to course correct and make sure that we stay on mission, which is not something that's guaranteed. So here we are, let's read Acts chapter two together, 42 to 47. If you brought your Bibles here this morning, I encourage you to read it in your own Bibles, just to make sure that, well, this whole thing isn't a lie. Maybe we changed all the words and it's all a lie. You'll only know if you read it for yourself. So it's not, so you can read up here, but I'd encourage you to read in your Bibles. Acts chapter two, 42 to 47. There's a passage in Acts chapter four that mirrors this one almost identically as well. Acts chapter four, 32 to 37, and you might wanna check that one out as well. But here is our passage this morning. Well, they devoted themselves, this is the church in Jerusalem, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved which is a beautiful thing, it's revival. So here we are in chapter two with our first glimpse of the early church and what strikes me immediately is just the simplicity of it. It's not particularly complicated and there's a reason for that. It's an essential part of any multiplying movement. It's the mission of God in the hands of ordinary people which meant that ordinary people like you and me could reproduce it wherever they went. And that's a good thing, because we get to Acts chapter 8, and we see the church in Jerusalem is forced to scatter because of persecution. It's the kind of thing that would kill most movements, but not this one. Actually, it has the opposite effect on the early church. Acts chapter eight, verse one says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, the regions around them, right? That's something that would kill most churches today. How many churches survived that? But we get to chapter nine. Saul is miraculously redeemed, right? And then it says this: Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, sorry, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace because Paul relaxed for a second and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. It scatters because of persecution. And it doesn't die. No, it continues to grow. It increases in number. Why? Because they reproduce the life of the church wherever they went. Church is scattered. It doesn't stop. Those people take it with them. They reproduce it wherever they go. So by the time we get to chapter 11, we see the church birthed in Antioch. And then in Iconium in chapter 14. And it's not long before this church is in Philippi and Thessalonica, and Corinth, and Ephesus. I mean, the church just explodes, not just in Jerusalem, but in Macedonia, and Turkey, and even in Rome. Well, that doesn't happen if it's a movement sustained by the giftedness of a few. It just doesn't happen. But that's not what we see. In Acts chapter two, no, there's, there's, there's a sense of beauty in its simplicity, well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That word devoted in the Greek is incredibly difficult to say, so I won't bother, but it means to continue in, to hold fast, or, or to persevere in something. It reminds me of something my good friend Jules Burt says all the time, and that is that we're called to a long obedience in the same direction. It's the picture of that hiker getting ready on his trail. It's a long obedience in the same direction. That is the life of a Christian. And what do we have a tendency to do? To Get swept up in the latest thing, constantly pulled off into the new thing that's gonna bring about revival, but that's not what we're called to as Christians. It's a long obedience, a devotion, that we might persevere in the things that God has given us. A long obedience in the same direction. Here's the thing, it's just so tempting to think that wouldn't work anymore that it's some kind of simplified version of the church that we've moved beyond. It's just not true. That stuff defines us. Anywhere you find a group of believers coming together to do those four things, you find the church. Because it's not about a building or lights or how tight the worship is, even though all of that can be an amazing blessing. We are good gifts from God, but they're not what makes us a church. Now, we're defined by the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. It's the pattern that we're given in Acts chapter 2. So the question is, and this is challenging for us, if we're honest before the Lord, what are we devoted to? That's what they devoted themselves to, but but what are we devoted to? Not what we say, but but really, honestly, what are we devoted to as individuals, as a body, as a church? What are we devoted to? I'd love to say that it's the apostles' teaching preserved for us in the scriptures. I mean, that's why we open up the word every Sunday, but as I was preparing this, I felt like the Lord said to me, you know, devotion isn't just about sitting under the word, it's about living into it. It's about obedience. And the truth is, there's just so much in here that we just kind of keep at arm's length. Not interested in. I mean, the gospel leads us out of selfishness and into others sent to generosity. Because that was Jesus' heart, it still is. Just look at the cross, it's all you need to know. And intellectually, we'd agree with that. Every single person in this room would agree with that. We're on board with that. But I look at Acts chapter two and I see a group of people living into it and it's powerful. Even today, that would be revolutionary. That they sold property and possessions and gave to anyone in need. Because here's the thing, that kind of radical generosity is exactly where the gospel leads us. Now once again, it's so tempting to think, yeah, but that was 2,000 years ago. It was just so different, and you'd be right. The ancient world was radically different, but people weren't. People were just as selfish and greedy. So I can guarantee you that was radical. Completely countercultural. They're living countercultural lives marked by radical generosity, and it set them apart from everyone else. Because here's the truth no one does that. No one loves like that. No one actually loves their neighbor as themselves. Maybe Mike Miles. <laughs> Probably the only person. He loves a little too much sometimes. But apart from him, let's be honest, nobody does that. They didn't back then, and they certainly don't now, but but these guys did. And why is that? It's because Jesus did. That's Jesus. Jesus loved people like that. they devoted themselves to the fellowship. There's a definite article in the Greek, which means it's not just about the people you choose to sit next to, it's about the body as a whole people on the other side of the room that you've never even met. That's what they were devoted to. And we don't like that. We don't like that corporate focus because we come up through a culture which is incredibly individualistic, but the early church was defined by its love and commitment to one another, expressed in what? Genuine love and care were radical Generosity. Well, they gathered in the temple courts, kind of like we're gathered here today, but they met in people's homes as well. They broke bread and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It's a reference to the Lord's Supper or communion, and it's a beautiful picture, like a family. And Jesus is at the center of it all. He's continually framed in because that's what communion does. It it, it brings us back to the centrality of the cross. It frames Jesus in. And that's what we're about. Here they are doing life together, but in the midst of that, Jesus is continually framed in because that's Christian community. They worshiped and prayed and served, but the key is they did it together as one people. What's really interesting is that Luke actually uses two different words for together in this passage, and they kind of come together to give us the fullness of the picture of what he's calling us to. In verse 44, he says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. That word means that they were together physically. They're in the same place, because it's an essential part of being a part of a community, an essential part of the church, which means that online church is not church, it's great, it's supplementary, and if you're not here, if you're sick, it's fantastic, but it can never replace, because there's something about being together physically that defines the church, but then there's another part. In verse 46, it uses a completely different word, and it means that they were one in mind and purpose. It's a heart thing. It's a picture of oneness and unity that's only found in the kingdom of God. The world can't do that. The world cannot produce that kind of oneness, that kind of unity. It's only found in the kingdom of God and a group of people who devote themselves to the word of God, to the body of Christ, to the centrality of the cross, and to prayer. We're united in those things and Jesus is at the center of it all. He brings unity. That's what the church is all about, and it's a beautiful thing. You talk to any one of the pastors here, and they'll say that our heart is to see each and every one of you experience that kind of community, the richness of it, the depth of that kind of community, because there's life there. It's a place of joy and purpose where the king reigns and his people are blessed. Here's the thing. It is by its very nature, forget about any programs, forget about anything they did, it is by its very nature completely countercultural. That kind of community shines like a beacon into the darkness. Which is why we get to the end of this passage, and Luke says they enjoyed the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what revival looks like. That's what we're reading about here. We're reading about revival. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that here. I want to see people find life in the name of Jesus. I want to see families transformed, communities changed. And I know that's something that God alone can do. We can't coerce him into doing that. We can't manufacture revival. People try. It is ridiculous. You cannot force it. God alone brings it. It's his movie spirit. But I also know that he chose to do it through a group of people who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And the question is... But what are we devoted to as individuals, as a community, as families? What are we setting our sights on that we might faithfully walk in it all the days of our lives? A, a long obedience in the same direction. In just a moment, it's something that I want to give you a little bit of time to work through with the Lord, but before we do that, I want to highlight two things that I think are going to cripple that long walk of obedience. The first one is self-centered individualism. We live in a world where the individual's pursuit of happiness is more important than anything or anyone else. It's more important than truth. It's more important than reality, and it's definitely more important than the people around you. It's a gospel, a worldly one, counter to the actual gospel, but a gospel nonetheless of radical individualism where the world revolves around me, and a fullness of life is found when I put me at the center. That is our culture, and it influences us in ways that I don't think we really understand. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone on a Sunday morning where I've met somebody, right? Mike brings me over, he says, I want you to meet this person. Had a fantastic conversation, said, oh, I'll look out for you next week. That's the right thing to say, right? Only for them to turn around and say, oh, we're just church shopping, so I probably won't be back next week. And every time I think to myself, what am I supposed to say? what's the right response to that? I hope we ticked the right boxes for you based on your personal preferences and somehow beat out the competition and so you'll grace us with your presence. Is that what I'm supposed to say? Because I reflect on that and I think, what are we doing here? It's a level of consumerism that I just don't see in Acts chapter two. It's me at the center, even when it comes to, the church, me, at the center. And here's what I'd say to you. as a pastor, and I'd say this out of love, you believe it or not, but this comes from a place of love, you, you probably don't realize it, but the truth is, you're selling yourself short, that God has so much more for you than that, that in some way you've bored into the world's gospel and it will lead to death and destruction, not fullness of life and joy. Because that's not the gospel, and it's not the church. That's number one. The second thing I wanna highlight is that church is so much more than this. Sunday gathering, right? Don't get me wrong. Sunday service is incredibly important. But if this is your extent, the extent, sorry, of your connection here at Mounties or any church, whatever, you'll never experience the depth of community that we see in Acts chapter 2. Now, they had a corporate gathering. They met in a temple courts, They did it every day. We're not going to do that, thank goodness. But the early church was so much more than that. That was not the early church, it was an element of it, but it was more than that. They were a family, where they sacrificed for each other. They did life together, and you're not gonna find that level of intimacy and connection on a Sunday morning alone. You'll never find it. So just know that if you try to equate a Sunday service with church, you're selling yourself short. And you will never experience the richness of what Jesus has called you into, which is to plant deep roots in a church. And we don't care which one. Pick a church and plant deep roots. I love what Steve Addison says. He said, God isn't saving, just saving individuals; He's gathering a people. He doesn't add them to the community without saving them, but he doesn't save them without adding them to the community. We need each other. And the truth is that this is meant something that is meant to be done together. The Christian walk is not a solo venture. It is a corporate thing. It's a pattern that we're given in Acts chapter 2. It's a beautiful thing. It's a mirror for us. That can be really uncomfortable sometimes as we come before the mirror and we see how far actually we've strayed, how far we've drifted from what Jesus is calling us into. And so we come back to that simple and yet challenging question, which is, what are we devoted to? Are we on course, on mission, or have we drifted? Have we drifted? I want to invite the band to come back up and, and lead us in worship. And as I come, I want to give you a bit of time to process that with the Lord. To hear his voice this morning. I can think of a couple of different things. I think about the Honeywood crew. I think what a beautiful, unique opportunity that you guys have to allow the Lord to set the foundation rightly before you plant next week. Next Sunday, out of all the things that you could be about as a church, what is God calling you to devote yourselves to as a group of people? As an individual, you can ask yourself the same question, same thing for our families. What are you handing down to your kids through your own engagement in the church? I'm not talking about what you tell them, I'm talking about what you show them through your own engagement in the church. And here's the challenge. If you make it a consumeristic thing, if you buy into that consumer paradigm, don't be surprised if your kids see it as empty and worthless and decide to one day consume somewhere else. Don't be surprised. Because you've shown them something that's empty and worthless and not the church. And they will reject it. Show them the real thing. Live it out. They might see it with their own eyes and go, That is what it means to follow Jesus. That's the church. And there's significance and purpose in that. And I want that. Even to the kids here this morning, what are you devoted to? Never too young to ask the Lord to speak to you. So why don't you just stop and ask the Lord Jesus to speak to us this morning? Jesus, we are here for you. We're here because of you. We look at the cross, and we see your heart. And so we pray, Jesus, as we hear your voice this morning, that you would draw us to yourself. And that as we pursue you and step into you, Father, you would bring us on mission. And anywhere in our life, Father, where we've drifted, as a church, as individuals, as family, where we have drifted, Father, we pray that you would course correct us. As I believe, in your word, we say that there is a fullness of life and walking in the plans and the purposes of the Lord. That it truly is better to give than it is to receive that we're a part of an upside-down kingdom, that it is intrinsically countercultural, And that's not always easy for us, Father. We find ourselves sucked into the things of this world, not just materialism, but just a way of seeing life, our heart. And so we pray, Father, that you would make us a people for your own, set us apart for you. So speak to us this morning, Jesus. Lead us in the way of life. And also, humbly, Jesus, we pray as you do that. You would grace us with the movement of your spirit. That we might see miracles, signs and wonders, the power of God, the kingdom come. That we might see salvation. You add to the number, not just of our church, but the church. Every day we might see people find life in your name. We're so thankful to be a part of it. And so we pray, Jesus, would you set us apart? Would you refine us and would you grace us by using us for your kingdom and your glory that we might see lives transformed Not by anything necessary that we do, but just because of who we are. ask for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.